seated. Thank you again for being here. And again, we welcome all of you that are viewing by live stream this morning. We are kicking off a brand new series entitled Staying the Course. Three different teaching elders from this congregation are going to be taking each one of the three subjects or one of the three subjects each week. The first one is called Settled. And Don Delos is going to come this morning and share the word of the Lord with us. Let's welcome Don. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Well, I also want to say thank you to uh, all those moms out there for the role that you played in so many lives and say Happy Mother's Day to you. It's a very special day for the moms and I uh, want to uh, celebrate you in this day. Um, yes, yes, they deserve our applause. Um, like to sh As you just heard, we're starting a series entitled Staying the Course. And... Uh, the topic that was given to me was settled, and it was something that was laid upon Jeff's heart to uh, talk about. And as soon as I heard that word, I felt like that is a place where I'd like to speak on because I feel like the Lord wants us to be in a place of being settled. Because our culture in our churches today, many times people are, uh, they have instability, they have situations where they don't no uh, direction, they, or they depend upon their own opinions or their own circumstances to dictate their direction, and they don't uh, have any place of authority where they can look to and so that they can derive their direction, their stability, their course from some place of authority. And so I would like to take today and talk about the authority that God has given us in his word and how we can have stability, we can have uh, a settledness with uh, basing uh, our decisions and our actions based upon God's word. And I'd like to just start off by uh, showing you a slide that calls, it's called settled. Here's the definition right here. Uh, if you look up here, you'll see to appoint, fix, or resolve definitely and conclusively agree upon or reach an agreement about an argument or problem, to place in a desired state or order. Uh, settle has the idea of being stable, having something to plant your feet on, to be, have a firm foundation. Uh, the next word I wanted to put up here is unsettled, lacking stability, aimless, directionless, purposelessness. So who wants to have that in their lives? No one wants to be unsettled or lacking stability, aimless, directionless, or purposeless. Everyone wants to have a, a sense of direction and, and have some stability. And so as a result of that, we try to um, find a place where we can have a greater authority than ourselves. And today I want to talk about how we can stay the course by uh, referring back and constantly putting our trust in what God has already given us, his word. We have a, a, an authority uh, granted to us. God has not only given us his word, but he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can have a sense of direction. We can have a stable course. We can have a, a place where we can be settled, where we can have a, a firm foundation. So um, I'd like us, as we look to our text today, turn to the book of Acts, 
chapter 17. If you don't have it, we have it up here on the screen, and so I'm going to walk over to the screen and and read the the passage to us. But let me just uh, share with you what uh, the text is today. It's from Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. It says, Brethren, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed along with the number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, also they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Let's pray. Father, I come in the name of Jesus, first of all, thanking you and praising you for your word. Lord, you have preserved it for us. You've given it to us so that we can have a firm foundation, an authority that can help us as we walk through life and give us a sense of direction and help us stay on course. So we thank you for that. We thank you that you have uh, placed in our hands the opportunity to uh, read your word and get direction from you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we uh, look at your word today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and help us affirm and be settled on what you have given us as your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to share with you uh, a, a little story about when we arrived in Costa Rica in 1989 to be missionaries to Argentina. We first went to Costa Rica because we didn't know any Spanish or very little. We I think we could count to 10. We could say hola, gracias, and a couple other words. And so that was about the extent of our Spanish when we arrived in Costa Rica. And we were studying there to become missionaries to go to Argentina. Well, when we arrived, uh, I wanted to make it one of my daily habits to get up and jog each day. I, I like to get exercise, and so I thought, you know, we're just new in the city. It would be great to uh, start off uh, this uh, new year uh, uh, taking a daily jog. So I think it was the second or third morning that we were there in Costa Rica. I got up in the morning and I uh, put on my jogging clothes and I went out the door to start my jog. And I jogged for about maybe a half mile or three quarters of a mile. And then I thought, I better start back. So I turned around and I started back toward where I thought was our home. All of a sudden I realized all the streets looked the same to me. I kept, I was, I was going to all the streets and thinking, man, they look identical, every, every single street. And I'm thinking, I don't, it just dawned on me, I don't know how to get back. And I, I don't have a map. I have no way to direct myself. And guess what? I don't know Spanish. Uh, and I'm stuck. And there's all these people there walking on their way to school or work or wherever they were going. And I had no way to even ask them how to get back to where I was to go. So for a while there, for 15 or 20 minutes, I'm just frantic. I'm trying to figure out which street to take back to uh, our house. And I'm thinking, man, I am, I'm lost. 
And so all I knew was there was, uh, our neighborhood was called La Cabana. Now, uh, that means the cabin. And so I, I, I'd walk up to people and go, La Cabana. <laughs> and they would, go, they, would, they would rattle off something in Spanish to me. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know what they're telling me. And so I was stuck. I didn't know how to get back to our house. And I, I tried it about four or five different times to get somebody to give me directions. And finally, after about the, I think it was the sixth person, realized I didn't know the, the language of Spanish. And so they signaled to me to follow them. So I walked along behind them. And then they got to a street corner. They pointed like this and said, La Cabana. And so I finally found my way back because somebody realized I didn't know the language and they were uh, willing to direct me to the place I needed to go. So I, uh, I tell you that story because we need guidance. We need a sense of direction. And I, I felt so insecure and so unstable and so aimless because I didn't have a sense of direction because I didn't know where to go. I didn't know... Uh, which way to turn, I didn't know which street to take, and I needed some help. And God has so graciously preserved for us an authority. And when we don't have authority, we're in trouble, as you can see uh, my situation in Costa Rica. When I didn't have a, a place to, or a sense of direction, I didn't know which way to turn. I had to depend upon somebody else that would hopefully figure out what I was trying to say and then lead me on my way. Today, we have a lot of people that depend upon themselves as their own authority. In fact, uh, you hear all the time people saying, well, I believe. And then as they're going through their phrase or their talking, you realize that they're their own authority. They don't have any higher authority than themselves. And, and uh, uh, you know, that wouldn't have been a whole lot of good to me in, in Costa Rica if I would have been my own authority because I couldn't recreate my steps. I couldn't get back to where I was going to go. And so I was without hope. I was aimless. I was without direction. Well, mo people that say, well, I believe, many times are relying upon their own belief system as their own authority. And it usually you, it dawns on you because they never give you any other resource that has some authority greater than themselves. Um, you know, I've had people where I do chaplaincy say that to me. Well, I believe. They'll start off and they'll say their belief system. And occasionally I'll say, you know, you know, what we believe is maybe good for only myself, but really what has authority is what God believes. I says it doesn't, it doesn't change my life what I believe. But what God believes can change my life, and it's, it's his authority that we have to refer to. And I, I try to direct them to the fact that there's a greater authority. There's one that the belief system of him is greater than their belief system, and that they need to uh, listen to him. The Christian church doesn't need to suffer from this problem of lack of authority, though, because we have authority. God has preserved for us his word so that we can have a written authority. We don't have to depend upon our own authority or our own belief system for a sense of direction or uh, a sense of stability in our lives. And let me share with you the, 
the next slide here, talks about the Bible. God has given us the Bible. It was a, the word was written over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, written on three continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa, by four, 40 inspired writers. And it tells one continuous story of the redemptive work of God in the lives of men and women. So God has, has been gracious enough that not only gave, did he give us his Holy Spirit, he also gave us his word so that we would have that authority, that guide in our lives, so that we'd have the stability. And so when we have confusion, when we have doubt, we know where to go. We know where we can find a firm foundation. We know a, a greater authority than myself. And so I can go to that. And so we, we have this option. Well, let me just share with you from the, the scriptures that we uh, looked at today. We, um, let me back up to the passage. Um, Paul here is in Berea, and it talks about the fact that the Bereans were people that received the word and also were uh, eager to, uh, to hear the word. But not only that, but they were also those who would examine the word. Now, one of the things that uh, I want to set the context for you today is this, that Paul, before he went to Berea, was, was in Thessalonica. The first uh, nine verses of the chapter of Acts 17 talk about where he's in Thessalonica. And he, as was his custom, he went to the synagogues and he would, uh, he would preach about Jesus Christ. And uh, while he was preaching in Thessalonica... Some did believe, but some didn't believe, and those who didn't believe stirred up the townspeople, so it says some wicked men, and they got this mob uh, that was going to uh, attack uh, Paul and Silas and run them out of town or, uh, or harm them in some way. And so what ended up happening, it says, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And so, and when they arrived there, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul actually ended up in Berea because of the fact that he wasn't welcome in Thessalonica. Those in Thessalonica didn't want to hear what Paul said because it didn't fit into their, quote, beliefs. And so as a consequence of that, they began, to, they, they tried to get rid of him. But he goes to Berea, and unlike uh, Thessalonica, the Bereans listened to the word, and it says they even listened with uh, a desire to hear the word. They were, it says they were earnest listeners to the word. Well, what an awesome thing is to, to have people that will want to listen to the word and, and take uh, what you have to say, but at the same time, they weren't ready to accept it until they examined the scriptures. One thing that we learned from this passage is that Paul didn't depend upon his own authority or his own opinion. Obviously, he was quoting Old Testament scriptures because remember, at this time, they didn't have the New Testament yet. So he's quoting the Old Testament. And the Bereans, who were Jews, and he was in a synagogue, they took their Old Testament scriptures and they began to search a daily to see what Paul was saying was true because they wanted a firm foundation. They didn't want to just believe anything that came down the line. They wanted to make sure that Paul, 
who, by the way, was a very learned man. He was a Pharisee. He had studied the Old Testament, and he knew the Scriptures very well, and he was saying, these things that you hear about Jesus are found in your Scriptures. So you need to search those Scriptures to see if it's all true. And so they went to the Scriptures. They searched the Scriptures. You see, Paul wasn't the only one that would refer to the Scriptures in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus uh, did. Each time that he was tempted, you remember the story where he was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus, each time that he was tempted, he referred to the Scriptures. He said, for it is written, and then he would quote a passage from the Old Testament to Satan because Satan was trying to tempt him. You see, uh, so Jesus was also... uh, a firm believer in the scriptures. But not only that, but also uh, Timothy. The scripture tells us that Timothy, when he wrote, wrote this. He said, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that uh, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You see, Timothy endorsed the scriptures. We also see that... uh, did I skip? Uh, there's, uh, w- let me uh, quote one that's from Hebrews. Hebrews says this, For the word of the God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of uh, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and tensions of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. You see, not only was Paul quoting Old Testament scripture when he was proving that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming Christ, the one who would be their redeemer, but also Jesus quotes scripture. We also see Timothy uh, endorses it, saying it's inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and he goes on and on. And we also see that in the book of Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews endorses scripture as our place of authority. So when there's temptation... Where do we turn? Well, we follow Jesus' example. We turn to the scripture. When there's uncertainty, where do we turn? Well, according to the authors of the scripture, we turn to the scripture when there's uncertainty, when there's instability. When there's uh, confusion, where do we turn? It's to turn to the word of God to, so that we don't have confusion. Or when we, have, when we want to learn how to live or how to serve, where do we learn, where, where do we learn that? The scripture tells us that, teaches us that. Mary and I were called into the ministry while we were, Mary's finishing up Bible college and I was also uh, uh, working at the time while she finishes school and we sensed a call in 1982 to be pastors and uh, so we were, uh, our plan was uh, at that time to go to seminary and study the word of God because uh, I thought, you know, that's the next step uh, for me if I'm uh, called. I got a business degree. My first degree was in business administration economics. So I didn't really feel uh, prepared to be a pastor. I did have one year of Bible college at uh, St. Paul Bible College, or now called Crown College. That's where Mary and I met at the college. But I still didn't feel like I was prepared for ministry. So uh, I I finished, uh, I kept working until Mary finished school, and then our plan was to go to the mission field, or I mean, uh, go to, into the pastorate, and eventually we were sensed a call to the mission field. 
But it was while uh, Mary was finishing up school that I got a call from the district superintendent of the Christian Mission Alliance in Montana. And he had a district that included not only Montana, Wyoming, but it also included parts of North Dakota, uh, South Dakota, and the southern part of Idaho. And so when he called, he said to me, he says, Don, he says, I'm interested to find out if you'd be willing to pastor a church in our district. I said, um, well, you know, I am interested. I do sense a call to ministry, but, you know, I don't believe I'm ready yet because I haven't been to seminary and I've only had one year of Bible college. And he said, well, Don, he says, uh, that's not our criteria for uh, going into ministry. He said, uh, we believe that if you're called, God equips those who are called, and you don't have to have a seminary degree. And I thought, oh, I don't have to have a seminary degree. Well, I said, you know, let me pray about this, you know, because I, I still was a little bit uncertain about going into ministry without having a degree. Because I, I had this sense that somehow that would give me some sense of authority if I had a degree, you know, that I, if I could say that I had my master's in theology or something. So I, I, uh, I, Mary and I uh, gathered together, we prayed, we, we talked about it, we finally came to the point where we said, um, okay, we'll, we'll go uh, into the ministry, and we'll go into the pastorate, but with one condition, we go where there's not a church already there. We'll plant a church, we'll start a church from scratch. Because I knew that I didn't want to mess up anything that was going good already. So I thought, you know, if, if I'm going to be inexperienced, I'm going to go into this thing without, uh, you know, messing up somebody else's life or their ministry. So, so we went to a place called Pocatello, Idaho. And uh, it was a place where uh, there wasn't any uh, church uh, within, uh, with our denomination. In fact, they didn't even have any contacts there. So the church was very small at first. It was Mary and I pastoring the church, and our daughter, Chelsea, was one month old. And she, she didn't tithe that well, so I had to get another job. So, um, I, uh, so we started ministry, and I worked two jobs. I worked as a pastor, and I worked as an uh, assistant manager. Well, first I had a 7-Eleven for a few months until it closed because the economy was so bad. And then I worked... At a, as assistant manager of a finance company uh, for the last uh, two and a half years that we, uh, before um, going full-time in the ministry. But one of the things that I, one of the things that happened while I was there was um, I, I tried to provide for us through our secular work, which meant that I worked uh, my secular job about 40 to 45 hours a week then in the evenings and on the weekends, I worked as a pastor. So seven days a week, uh, uh, every day during the month, 12-hour days were our normal. And so consequently, uh, I was getting worn out. Things were very difficult. And I was, I was determined at that uh, time to preach the word of God with accuracy. So when I wasn't working, I was probably studying. Because I wanted to make sure that what I preached and what I taught was God's word. And so I, I studied uh, in the, the spare moments of time that I had to try to prepare so that I, I, I preached with uh, the authority from God's word. I, got, I came to the place where I, I became a, a devout student of the, uh, of the word. But one of the things that we, I found was the problem was that we had no time as a family. Uh, 
while we were in Pocatello, we added two more children. And so things not only, uh, I mean, it was, I'm working all this, these hours, and, and all of a sudden we have a, a family of five, and I have no time. I have no time. So I, was, I struggled because the church wasn't growing. We, we remained a, a small little congregation, and I, I was thinking, Lord, how can I continue this? Back to the Bereans. The Bereans uh, uh, did hear the word with eagerness. They examined the scriptures, and they trusted that what Paul was saying was true, and it said that many of them believed. Many of them believed. In fact, um, it says here um, that they, they received the word with eagerness, examined the scriptures, and then the next verse says here, therefore many of them believed along with the number of prominent Greek women and men. There's actually three things that we see about the Bereans. They were eager listeners, number one. Second thing we see is that they, they examined the scriptures. They just didn't accept everything that was, came to them without examining thoroughly the scriptures before they believed. So it means that perhaps on the first time they heard Paul speak, they didn't actually run to the altar and say, yeah, we want to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. They wanted to make sure that what they heard was accurate. And even though they were eager listeners, they wanted to make sure what it was true. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says to this about them. They were noble-minded. And he has a good reason for that because they just didn't accept anything. They always made it based upon what was truth to them. And the truth to them was the scriptures, the holy scriptures. They looked to, to their scriptures for evidence. And then the third thing that they did was believe. They took the action step and they believed in what uh, the Apostle Paul said, and they became followers of Jesus Christ. Well, I mentioned that we, uh, I was working a lot of hours in Pocatello. I was getting to the place where I was getting worn out. I was working, visiting people, or studying all the time. And I got to the place where I couldn't continue in that uh, situation. So one day, I remember I had a few hours uh, that I, I normally would have probably been studying the scriptures, preparing for another message, but I thought, I, I have to go to the church, and I need to pray and ask God what to do. So I went to the church. The church was empty. I walked up and down the, between the pews, and I just kept uh, talking to the Lord, saying, Lord, I can't do this anymore. Uh, this is nearly two and a half years of working two jobs, and the church is so small it can't support us. In fact, um, I don't even think they could have even paid our mortgage payment. That's how uh, much income they could uh, afford us. And so I just thought, I can't do this anymore. So Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to give up being a pastor, be a layman here, and just support a pastor? That's not what I felt called to do when you came, when I came here, but what do I do? Because I don't have... I can't continue the way it is. And I became 
very frustrated and I, I, I bet I, it, this went on for about an hour where I was just saying, Lord, I need an answer from you. You need to tell me what to do. Uh, we, need, we need to just move forward in one direction or the other, but I can't do both. I can't do both these jobs. One of the things that many times that happens with us is we, we trust experience over God's word. Or we trust our traditions over God's word. Or we trust uh, something has happened, happened to us over God's word. Um, one of the things that I have learned over the years is you trust God's word even though sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense. You know, there's things that God says to you, you think, that doesn't make sense. Like, love your enemies. Who does that naturally? You know, I mean, doesn't make sense. Why do I want to love my enemies? Or do good to those who hate me. I mean, does that make sense? So we see a lot of the things in the scripture that just don't make sense. And so um, one of the things that I, I learned is that sometimes we have to just say, Trust God and his word, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense. Because you look at it, you think, I, I, don't, have, I don't have an answer here, but what God says doesn't make sense, but, it, but to him, obviously, it does. And so we have to know that uh, God, uh, I, re- I remember uh, one of the things that um, Bill Johnson said one time, He says, don't base your theology on your experiences. Base your theology on what God has said. And too often, don't we base our theology on our experiences or what we've experienced in life or our our, our situation, our traditions? In in fact, that was the problem with the Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17. They based their theology on their own experiences or their own traditions or their own belief system. And when Paul brought something to them, they didn't search the scriptures. They didn't ask what God's word said. They basically ran Paul out of town because he didn't fit their experience or their tradition. Often, people will trust people with credentials. Like, for example, uh, they'll say, uh, oh, this person has a great ministry. Maybe I should uh, believe in what they say. And trust them. Well, not the Bereans. Bereans uh, may have heard the reputation of Paul, but they didn't trust him just because his name was Paul. They trusted him because they learned that he spoke the truth from the word of God. You see, he didn't get a, a, a quick following there. They believed once they verified it, they examined the truth. Or sometimes people will say, well, this person does this or that, or maybe they prophesy, or maybe they cast out demons, or maybe they perform miracles, but that doesn't make them the authority. Let me show you this. Maybe it's right here. Sorry about that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Look at what he, they do. They prophesy. They cast out demons. They perform many miracles. That's pretty good, good credentials by most standards, right? But look at what Jesus says. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why does he say that about them? Because they had somewhere along the line deviated from God's word and began to practice their own theology. They, they were no longer in those guardrails that guided them in the right direction. They would got outside those guardrails and now they were practicing their own theology instead of what uh, God had actually taught them. But look at all the things that they accomplished. They prophesied, they cast out demons, they performed miracles, but yet God says, Jesus says, I don't even know who they are because they got out of the guardrails. They, got, they left the authority that God had given them. Is, is, you know, and here's what happens in our, in our culture today. Well, this person has credentials because of their ministry. Maybe they do uh, uh, some of those things that are written up there. Prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles. Or perhaps they have a book out. And so that gives them authority. Or perhaps they, they've uh, learned uh, the ancient languages, uh, Hebrew and Greek. And so that gives them authority. Or perhaps they got their doctorate. And maybe it's even in theology. And so that gives them authority. Well, not necessarily. It, not necessarily. If they don't uh, stay in those guardrails of the word of God, they can get outside and, and Jesus could say to them, I don't know who you are. You see, we had, uh, I, I lead a Bible study on Tuesday morning. In fact, one of the first groups of people that I uh, met with on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. at the Panera Bread um, just off uh, US 36 on just off 104th. We, um, or Church Ranch Road, I guess it's called. So I go over there. Uh, Bill McCartney was in the group to start with. So uh, our brother Bill, yeah, he was in the group. And uh, so uh, it was, the group was, uh, you know, about a dozen, 15 uh, different people. And, and there was one guy that came to the group after the first year. And his name was Bill. Not Bill McCartney. McCartney it was another Bill. And Bill came... And you, I could tell he was a student of the word. In fact, he had underlined and cross-referenced and everything, and he had things in the margin and everything like this. But there was one shocking thing about Bill was this. He did not believe that God, or that Jesus was God. He didn't believe. And it, it didn't matter all the scriptures I showed him he didn't believe, he had a, somehow he had a mental block right there and he believed from a previous experience or from his, his uh, training from somebody else, he didn't believe that Jesus was God. And for, he came for about a year and every time the, the topic would come up that Jesus was God, he would buck the system, he would buck the, 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 the theology and I, I even went, went to his house one day and we studied the scriptures together for over two hours together. I went to his house to try to help him understand that Jesus claims to be God. And I pointed out 
dozens of scriptures. And he said, no, no. He says, Don, he says, you're wrong. And I said, where do you get your authority? Where do you come up with this idea that Jesus isn't God? And he says, his credential was this, that when he became a Christian, he spoke in tongues. And he believed that because he spoke in tongues, everything he believed was, uh, was uh, authentic because of that. And I said, I believe in tongues. I believe it's a great gift, but doesn't make what you believe authentic just because you speak in tongues. Because even the Apostle Paul said this, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Basically, he's saying if you don't have love or if you don't have God, then you're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And I said, so Bill, that doesn't give you the authority that you are right just because you speak in tongues. And he said, I don't believe you, John. And to this day, I don't think he believes me. But here is the authority. And he probably read all the scriptures that I pointed out to him, but he wouldn't believe because he already had his credentials that made him believe that he was right. You see, I believe that we, not only as pastors, but also as uh, lay people, we need to search the scriptures. We need to examine it carefully and make sure that what we believe is consistent with the word of God. Because we're, we get outside those guardrails, we're in trouble. And I, it doesn't matter what kind of credentials that we think we have. If we get outside the guardrails, we're in trouble because Jesus will say to us, I don't know who you are. Because you don't agree with what he's already revealed to us. The Bereans not only read the scriptures and examined them, but they also went on to believe It says here in James, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at his, himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You see here, James is saying you can't just uh, believe the truth, but you also have to put it in practice in your life. The Bereans embraced the truth and they became believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what James is saying. You can look at the word, but if you don't put it into practice in your life, if you don't apply it to your life, what good does it do you? He said, you're like a man that looks in the mirror and sees yourself. You might have a smudges on your face. You might have dirt all over the place, but you walk away from the mirror and you just forget just what you saw and you don't clean it up. Well, that's the way we are if we don't apply the word of God to our lives. So it isn't just examining the word, but we also have to apply what it says to us. So those are the keys. The key is to receive it. The key is to examine it. And then the, key, the next one is to apply the truth that you find in the word of God. And that's what made the Bereans noble-minded people. That's why Luke said about them, they were noble-minded because they received it, they examined it, and they applied it to their lives. <clears throat> well, I told you that I went to the church. I cried out to God. I was 
saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue to live like this with two jobs. It didn't make sense to quit the job that uh, made money for me because I thought, if I quit that job, then I have no way to provide for my family. If I go with the church, I have no way to, to uh, buy groceries. I can't even pay the mortgage. I, how do I do these things without uh, income? And while I was crying out to God, God spoke to me very clearly. And it was a verse of scripture I'd memorized years and years earlier. And this is the verse right here. But seek first his or my kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I'd memorized that years earlier, but I had not applied it. I was th thinking, God, if I, if I continue to work at the finance company, at least I have an income. And God says, hey, why don't you put my kingdom first? Why don't you put my righteousness first? And all the things that you're concerned about, I'll add to you. And he said, I said, okay, God, I'm going to test you on this. <laughs> uh, I, I said, I'm going to quit my full-time job. And my reasoning was this. I'm thinking, now Mary still has a part-time job that we get a little bit of money, and maybe uh, she'll have that for a while, and we can uh, help survive off that. And I was thinking, and the district, that I talked to the district, and maybe they would kick in a little bit, so maybe with that we could we somehow can squeak by. And I was trying to rationalize it, just like in my flesh. And God says, I want you to trust me in this. So the next day, or ne I think uh, in a few days later after Mary and I had sat down and prayed together, I decided to go in and resign. So I resigned and I said, I'll be done at the end of the year. This was uh, 2014. I mean, 1984. 1984. Uh, so I was going to be done at the end of the year. And I had already told Mary before this date that if... If uh, we have another child, because we had two kids in daycare because she worked half a day. I said, if we have any more children, I says, uh, I promise you, you won't have to work anymore. Not about two weeks after I resigned, she was pregnant with our third. And I told her, I says, okay, I'm going to keep my word. You can resign. And so she told the school district she was done at the end of the year. I thought, oh, my Lord. <laughs> You're making this tough on this man. I'm thinking, how do I do this? You know, I, we're, we're going to not only lose my income, which was a full-time income, but we're losing her part-time income. And what the, uh, the district was going to kick in and also what the church was going to give us wasn't enough to live on. But you know something? God is faithful to his promise, even though some people doubt that. I had a... a a uh, man that came, or man and wife came to visit us. Mary's brother's in-laws were the ones that came to visit us. They knew us from uh, years earlier, and they happened to be in our city, and they stopped by to see us. His name was Al, and Al uh, listened to me. This was shortly after uh, Mary found out she was pregnant, and, and I, was, I was quitting my job, and she was quitting her job, and, and Al looked, turned to me, he, and he was a, a believer, and he said, Don, he says, I think you're being foolish and irresponsible because you're, you're not taking care of your family. He says, your family comes first. And he says, you should be taking care of your family 
over, uh, you know, make, putting uh, this ministry that you have first. And I said, Al, the Lord told me to do this. He says, I think you're crazy. Let me tell you how crazy that idea was. We went the next year, once, once uh, our income stopped from both my job at the finance company and Mary's job at the school, God began to multiply that church. You know something? The church tripled in size in six months. And you know something? Not only that, but gifts started coming in toward our sustenance that we would have never imagined. Well, you know, people would just give to us out of the clear blue. One time it was $500 that we, we got just out of the clear blue. And uh, the person, we hadn't seen that person in probably 10 years. Uh, you know, it was just amazing how God began to uh, give to us and help us uh, uh, keep uh, our, our livelihood going. But I'll tell you some of the things that even uh, shocked us more. We went for five years without insurance. You know, we had medical bills before we, uh, we went off of our insurance, but once we got off our insurance, we didn't have any medical bills anymore. We went five years. We had little kids. We went five years without having to go to the doctor. And we went one time in those five years because Ryan fell uh, off of a uh, stool, hit his head on the edge of a step, and he cut his head all the way down. And we went to the doctor, and we went to Dr. Baker, and he sewed him back up. And Ryan was only like two and a half years old. And uh, when uh, he got done uh, sewing him up, and he handed me the bill, and the bill had, uh, it was like, 180 or $200. I can't remember the exact number on the bill. It was, but it was, for, in those days, it was a lot for us. And I, I just looked at the bill, and he turned to me. He goes, do you have insurance? And I said, no, I don't. He says, hand me that bill back. He crossed off about two-thirds of the stuff on there, handed it back to me. It was $40. He says, here, pay this. In all those years, in those five years, that was our only, one of the only medical bills that we had. It was, and, and God even reduced that bill down to $40. I mean, isn't it amazing that the crazy things that we do when we trust God's word and God takes care of us? You know, because he is our authority and we have to trust him that he will take care of us. You know, um, we bought a car uh, when we got to Pocatello. A little car and uh, we drove that car until we went to the mission field. I mean, I love that car because, you know, the thing would run, it would go about 40 miles to the gallon it would go and go and go, and I wouldn't even, sometimes I'd even forget to change the filters and the oil and everything like that, but the thing just kept going. And, uh, you know, it just, for, for uh, it ran till it got to 150,000 miles, and that's when we were uh, called to go to the mission field. Uh, my brother-in-law heard about this car, and he thought, I- I'd like to buy that car, you know, from Don, because it's run so well for us. So we... Um, we agreed to sell it to him the day or, or the day after that we were going to leave for the mission field. What we were going to do is have my parents take that car down and park it at uh, a friend's house. And then uh, my brother-in-law was going to come over from Missoula and pick it up and take it back to Missoula. So I go to the airport. I kiss the car goodbye. And I go into the airport. We fly off uh, so we can go to language school in Costa Rica. And... Um, my brother-in-law comes over from Missoula to pick up that car that, I mean, it ran like a top. He got into the car, it wouldn't start. It wouldn't start. He had to tow it back to Missoula. 
uh, not too long ago, he started bre- speaking to me again. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he he was he was good. He you know he got the car fixed and they used it for a while. But you know it was just the way God was. It it ran like a top the whole time we owned that car. Because God knew that we didn't have the money to fix it. That's right. So he he, he kept it running. Uh, you know we. We had a house that we bought when we were in Pocatello. Let me tell you, the economy was bad when we bought it, so we, we actually got a good deal on it when we bought the house. But you know something? In five years, the economy went down in Pocatello. In fact, it went down so bad that in, by the time we were to leave in 1987, the economy was a disaster. The railroad had laid off about 500 employees. The Bosiris Erie, a mining company there, had laid, laid off about 1,500 people. It was only a city of about 50,000 people. And they, they were, between the two, they'd, left, they'd laid off about 2,000 people. And people were leaving the towns in droves. In fact, uh, two of the buttery stores, uh, the employees uh, were, in, uh, they, they announced to the employees they were closing down the store and so they, uh, the, they put on shirts that said, will the last person out of the store please shut out the lights? Or uh, no, will the last person out of Pocatello please shut out the lights? The city. That's how bad the economy was. We're headed to the mission field. We're trying to sell our house. And for a year, nobody would even look at it. I mean, the economy was that bad. No lie. No one would even look at that house. And we had it up for sale for a year. I don't think uh, I could even count on one, I could probably count everybody on one hand that even ask us about it. The last week, I'm getting a little nervous by then. Mary knows. I was, I was saying to Mary, I need to figure out some way to sell this house. Maybe somebody can just take over the payments. And so uh, we won't have this house, uh, be stuck with this house when we leave. So I was trying to uh, figure out something. Mary says, Trust the Lord, Don. He'll, he'll find a way. I said, in a year? We've given him a year already. <laughs> uh, so we're getting down to the last day. I preached my last message. We go to the park and have the farewell with all the, the members of the church. And, and, and then we say our goodbyes. We cry with them. We go back to the house. We uh, pack up the last few belongings into my dad's truck that was in the house. And I'm tying down the last thing. And the, the sun is going down. The only thing left in the house was the phone. And I heard it ring. So I ran back into the house. I picked up the phone, and it's Calvin Kugler from my hometown. And I said, Calvin, what, what makes you call us today? And he goes, well, he says, Don, is your house for sale? I said, it is. He says, Don, he says, I want to buy it. I said, Calvin, you've seen two rooms in our house. You've been in our dining room and living room. I says, uh, we do have other rooms. Do you like to see it? He goes, oh, yeah, well, I'll come over. He says, when can I come over? I says, why don't you come right now? So he drives over to the house. He stops in front of the house, and he walks into the house. And we show him to all the rooms, and he goes, "Um, I like it. He says, I'd like to buy it. I said, Calvin, do you want to know how much I'm asking? Oh, he goes, yeah, how much are you asking for the house? I I gave him the price that would pay off our first mortgage, our second mortgage, and a Mary's student loan, because that was the only debt we had left, because we had to go to the mission field debt-free. So I gave him the amounts for those three things. He said, Don, if that's not enough, I'll give you more. I said, no, if you'll give us that, we'll leave this town debt-free. And I says, I'll be thrilled. 
He says, I'll have it for you Tuesday morning. This was Sunday night. I said, we'll make it happen. So I stayed. Uh, we stayed an extra day. We stayed till Tuesday morning. We, uh, uh, he came, the, the, the loan was closed on. He uh, gave us our money. We paid off our, Mary's last student loan. And uh, I just, I was just thrilled. Like, it was unbelievable that this house sold at the last minute in an economy that was a disaster, absolutely disaster. Isn't that crazy sometimes how we believe God, you know? God tells you to just trust him, seek him, his kingdom first, his righteousness first, and all these things shall be added unto you. Why not? It's God, right, that says it? Trust his word and act upon it, and he takes care of you. After we left the title company, we drove back by the house because I wanted to see if there was anything left in the mailbox. We wanted to make sure that nothing had to be forwarded. There was one letter in the mailbox, and the letter uh, that I pulled out, we'd already qualified for student housing at the graduate school because we had to go to graduate school before the mission field. So we were going to uh, Wheaton, Illinois to go to graduate school, and from there we were headed to the mission field. The last letter that I pulled out of the mailbox was that I got a full ride to Wheaton Graduate School. (laughs) So we wouldn't have any debt. Do you see that? When you seek him first and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. There wasn't one thing, that one detail that God left out. And even got the married student housing. We got the last one of the married student housing when we applied. To, uh, and it, when we first applied, they said there was nothing available. But before we left, they called us and said, you got the last one. You know something? God is the authority that we need to stick to. He ke- when we look at his word and we trust his word, and when we act upon it, he keeps us within those guardrails. He takes care of us. You see, if we're going to stay the course, if we're going to stay the course, we need to, first of all, look to a higher authority. And God has given us not only his Holy Spirit, but he's given us his word as the higher authority. And he says, we need to listen to his word. We need to examine it to make sure that we're accepting and believing what is true and what's right. And then we need to obey it. Because it doesn't do us any good just to do the first two, just to listen to it and to examine it. But we have to do the third thing. We have to obey. We have to, have to act upon it. And when we do that, God blesses. God takes care of us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your, the truth that you have taught us in your word. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be like the Bereans, that not only listen to your word eagerly, but also they examined the word to see if it was true, and then they applied it to their lives. And Lord, I just pray that you will help us be like the Bereans, that will listen, that will examine, and will obey for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh my goodness. We're about to end the live stream feed. You've got like 90 seconds. So here's what I want to do. First of all, hold on congregation here. Thank you for viewing today.
over some 55 of you viewed last week, and we believe that con that congregation is going to grow. Thank you for being here with us today. Happy Mother's Day. And this message will be available by middle of the week, online from the website, or by going back and following the link to the Boxcaster television that you did today. Again, I want to thank you. And for any of you that might be just feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit, let me say to you, part of staying the course is being involved in a good local church. Do what you need to do this week to change that and get involved in a good local church. Secondly, get somewhere where you can believe in what they're doing and invest, where you can sow seed. And until you know that place, well then, how about Genesis? You need just to text the word give, as we said earlier in the, in the uh, program, 720-463-1550. 1515. Thank you for viewing today. Congregation.